Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits this week. I have an amazing guest for you. Gosh, I managed to get some incredible people. I have Dr. Kirk Parsley with me. Um, he is a ex-Navy SEAL and also medical doctor. A little bit of an overachiever, this one. Spent many years in the SEALs. Uh, incredible man. He also um, was involved with the first sports medicine rehabilitation center that was working with the SEALs. Uh, incredible expert on sleep, and that's what we do a deep dive into today. Uh, we also talk about hyperbaric uh, oxygen therapy. We also go into areas about the current state of the medical system, one of my favorite topics. And I hope you enjoy this episode. It's really the most important thing is around sleep. Sleep is something that all of us, I think, are underestimating its importance of, and that this is the biggest lever, not food, not exercise, not meditation, not mindfulness, not anything else. Number one of all leverage points is sleep. So how the heck do you get enough sleep? What is enough sleep and how to get it is uh, all what this episode is about. Before we head over, just want to remind you we have Boost Camp coming up. This is our eight-week live online program that Neil Wagstaff and I, my business partner and longtime friend and coach, are doing. And we're going to, if you want to come and hang out with us live every week and learn Learn uh, everything about upgrading your life, basically your performance, how uh, how to optimize all areas of your life. Then we would love you to check the information out. Head over to peakwellness.co.nz forward slash boostcamp. And on that point, if you are also interested, come and check out our flagship program, which is our epigenetics program, where we look at your genetics and how to optimize those specifically, all the areas of your life, your food, your nutrition, uh, your sorry, your exercise, your mood and behavior, uh, your hormones, all these important areas specifically to your genetics, one-on-one time with us and help you to understand uh, everything about your genetics. It's an incredible platform and amazing AI technology behind this, and we'd love you to check that out. Go to peakwellness.co.nz forward slash epigenetics or reach out to me if you didn't get that. We'll also have the links down in the show notes if you want to just click over to that. Or you can just head over to my website, lisatarmody.com, and hit the Work With Us button. All our programs are listed on there as well. So without further ado now, over to Dr. Kirk Parsley. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have a, a superstar who is a, a good friend of Mark Devine, Commander Mark Devine. You may have heard um, previous weeks on my podcast. We have Doc uh, Kirk Parsley with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I feel very welcome. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still here, but I'm happy to be sharing this airspace with you or whatever <laughs> it is, sharing satellite um, waves. <laughs> I'm really uh, super excited. I've, I've heard you a number of times on Mark's show, and just thought, oh, I have to get you on because you're such an expert. You're a, you're a. We're going to dive into a little bit into your background, but you're an absolute sleep expert. So I'm really keen to to help my uh, audience with their sleep and their sleep patterns and all of that sort of good stuff. But before we get into that, we were just chatting about uh, genetics and endurance. Uh, so give us a bit of a background. Um, you've been a Navy SEAL, you've been in the military, in the naval uh, military. So give us a bit of background on yourself, Dr. Parsley. Yeah, so um, 
So I, ironically, I was, I actually dropped out of high school. I was, I was a terrible student my whole life. Um, <laughs> didn't have any interest in school and, uh, and, you know, after you don't do well for long enough, you just convinced yourself that you can't do well. And so you're just, yeah, I'm just dumb. I can't do it. So uh, uh, I was always very physical, very athletic, uh, you know, uh, just fortunate, like, I, you know, genetic lottery. I won, to, you know, to just be sort of an athletic and strong guy. And uh, it came pretty easy to me, but I worked hard at it because I didn't do school. You know, so, uh, but I dropped out of high school uh, to join the military and do the hardest training in the world. And that was what the SEAL training was supposed to be, is the toughest training in the world. I'm like, well, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Uh, so I went to do that. And uh, I, you know, this was you know, way a long time ago. This is 1988. So, uh it was long before anybody knew what seals were. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, when, yeah you were in uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, they, they they didn't have the notoriety they have now for sure. When when I you know when I would come home from the navy and tell people I was a seal, they're like, "What, what do you mean? Like, sea, like, like you work for Sea World or something? Or like, what do you do?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I you know I went through seal training. Obviously, I made it through seal training. I became a seal. Uh, you know, that was, you know, pre 9-11, obviously. So we didn't have the combat that, that the SEALs of this generation do. So it's not really comparable. Um, you know, we were still mainly working in Southeast Asia doing kind of just police work and training other militaries. And um, uh, so, you know, I, I did three deployments. It was really kind of the same thing over and over and over again because there was no combat. So you just did the same yeah. training and then you deployed and then you came home and you did the same training and you deployed. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go do something else. Um, and uh, yeah, thought I would be, um, I, I was dating a woman who would become my wife uh, and she was a physical, she was getting a master's in physical therapy and I was reading her textbooks on deployment to make myself a better athlete. And I thought maybe I could be a physical therapist. And so I started working, I started volunteering in a physical therapy uh, facility in San Diego called San Diego Sports Medicine Center. And it had every kind of healthcare provider you could possibly imagine in this building. It's just this healthcare mecca. This is the most holistic thing I've ever seen to this day. Um, And I decided pretty quickly I didn't want to be a physical therapist, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And uh, you know, but I, I got to follow the podiatrist around and acupuncturists and massage therapists and athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches and the orthopedists and the family practice and the sportsmen. Like I just got to follow them around and see how everybody worked. And um, there were a group of uh, young doctors there who are probably only five or six years older than me. And uh, they were saying, well, you should go to medical school. And I was like, like pump the brakes, kiddo. Like I didn't even graduate high school. There's, I'm not. I'm not getting into medical school. Uh, and then the senior doctor here is overhears the conversation. And he comes out of the office and he says, "Kirk, the question isn't can you get in. The question is would you go if you got in." And I said, "Of course I'd go if I got in." So well, there you have it. So he sort of he sort of shamed me into uh, going to medical school. I'm like, yeah, of course I guess. So uh, so you know, I studied hard and got really good grades and. Uh, then when it came time to apply for medical school, um, you know, this is pre-internet. So you had to go to the bookstore and get your yeah. book review and look and see what schools you're competitive for. And when I was going through one of those books, I found out that the military had their own medical school. Wow. You know, the military was a closed chapter in my mind. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd done that. I, you know, something that I figured I'd always do in my life, but it was never meant to be my whole life. And so I'd done that and I was 
figured I was done, but I was already married, I already had kids. And so he's like, well, the military will pay me to go to medical school or I can pay someone else to go to medical school yeah, and my wife can work while we're in medical. And so I, I made enough to support my family and to go to medical school for free. Wow. And then the payoff in the military is they'll train you to do anything. But you have to give them years of service in that job. So once you finish your, your medical training, you have to be a doctor for the military for eight years. Mm-hmm. And so I figured... You know, I'll get back to the SEAL teams. I'll go pay something back to the community that helped me, you know, was hugely formidable in who I became in my life. And uh, went back to the SEAL teams, really well prepped to do sports medicine and orthopedics. And I knew quite a bit about nutrition and performance and strength and conditioning. Like I was, I was pretty sure I had the exact pedigree. Uh, and when I got there, um, they just gotten the money to build a, a sports medicine facility, which was actually their vision was exactly what I told you that I worked in in college. Like that's yeah. exact. Uh, that's exactly what they wanted to build. And I'm like, I got this. So yeah. they put me in charge of building this out. And, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a significant part of us hiring everyone we hired. So we hired our, our first strength and conditioning coach, our first nutritionist, our first, you know, PT or first everything like we wow. uh, we built our own sports medicine facility and then we had um, orthopedics which coming through every week and they would do rounds there and we'd have pain rounds you know pain management rounds come through we had an acupuncturist coming through and you know we hired all these people from like the Olympic training center and like professional sports teams and the best colleges and so we had all these brilliant people who knew way more than I did about what they do sort of went from there to there <laughs> Yeah. And so at that point, I was the dumbest person around, right? Because we had all these experts in every little niche that I knew this much about. We hired experts who knew that much about. Um, and so in the military, when, you, when you're the dumbest guy, they put you in charge, right? And say, well, you manage this, right? And so then I'm managing all these people who know more than I do, however that works. Uh, and, uh, but my office was in this, in this facility that we built. And um, the SEALs are a lot like professional athletes in that, and you put them on a bench, so to speak, right? Uh, because they're injured or they're, you know, they need some help, so they can't work. It's the worst thing, worst thing. Yeah. So when they see a healthcare provider, they just, they just lie because yeah, yeah. they don't want to like, take it they out. Wanna, they, they, will, they will take money out of their pocket and go into the city and find a doctor to treat them so that the doctor yeah. at work doesn't know so they don't get put on the sideline. Uh, yeah. And, but, because I was a SEAL and because uh, yeah, there, there, there were still a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of SEALs at the SEAL team. It was close enough to my time. There, there were still a lot of SEALs at the, at the team who, who I worked with, that I trained with and deployed with. And so who knew me and I had a good reputation. And so they trusted me and they come in my office and they say, Hey, let me tell you what's going on with me. And they would reported this litany of symptoms that didn't have any sort of pattern that I could recognize. Right. Um, and so, you know, they were saying that their motivation was low, uh, that they were very moody, that they couldn't concentrate. They're super forgetful. Yep. Their energy was low. Their body composition was shifting. They felt slower and dumber and colder. Um, they, none of them were sleeping very well. They're all taking sleep drugs. Wow. Um, they had low sex drive. They had a lot of joint pain, a lot of inflammation. And I didn't have the slightest idea. I'm like, 
and I don't know, it sounds like you're obese in 65, like, (laughs) but you know, I'm looking at you and you're not, so I don't know what's going on. Uh, And so I just started testing everything I could possibly test. I, I tested like literally 98 blood markers. They were given 17 vials of blood. I was just shotgun approaches, test everything and see what's abnormal. And I started seeing some patterns um, and they, and they had really low anabolic hormones. So like yeah. uh, DHEA and testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, pregnenolone, like all of that was low and they'd have really high inflammatory markers. They really had poor insulin sensitivity for how healthy I knew they were and how well they ate and how much they exercised. It was still within the normal range, but it wasn't yeah, not like, like everything, everything was in the normal range, but everything that should be really high was just like barely in the normal range and everything yeah. that should be really low was just barely inside of that range, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they didn't have disease and I was a medical doctor. So I had learned how to yeah. recognize and treat right. disease and they didn't yeah. have disease. So I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? So that led me to having to, uh, you know, train with outside providers. And, and fortunately at that time, the SEALs did have the reputation. They, you know, they'd already done all this amazing thing. This is 2009. So, I think they had already shot Bin Laden at that point. Um, so um, I could call anybody, right? I'd watch somebody's TED talk or I'd read their book or I'd see them lecture and I'd just call right. them. Hey, I'm, I'm the doctor for the West Coast SEAL team. So da, 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 could I come train with you? Could I consult with you? Can I ask you some questions? And everybody was generous and said, wow. absolutely. So I got to learn a lot really quickly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I take a lot of leave from work and just go sit in these guys' clinics for four or five days and just pick their brain and we'll go see patients with them and you know take notes and learn. And, and then I just call them every time I had a question. And I, I just I got to learn really quickly. I just like this team of experts who knew everything about the alternative sort of world. And so I was trying to treat people for adrenal fatigue and I was trying to treat people for, you know, vitamin and mineral deficiencies, which were obvious from what was going on. And, I, you know, I, uh, I couldn't quite figure out what it was and about a hundred patients into it. And, and probably after 30 guys came in, I could have told everybody, like they, I could have just said, sit down, I'll tell you what you're going to tell me. And I could have just, I could just route it off. It's so similar. Wow. And about a hundred guys into it. Uh, that's embarrassing. It took so long, but um, I, I, uh, I remember this guy telling me that he took Ambien every night. Yeah. Uh, which you guys call still knocks, I think, right? Yep. Um, it's like and I was married to an Aussie, so I know a lot. Oh. I mean, I know you're. I know you're not an Aussie, but like I know about that. The, 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 a little bit about your world <laughs> and your language. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, I I uh, I remember putting a note in the margin, going, "It seems like a lot of guys take an Ambien." <laughs> yeah. And, I, and then I go back through everybody's records. 100% of the guys who had been in my office were taking Ambien. Wow. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's, that's the key. an issue, right? So yeah. let me go look at the side effects of Ambien. And it was a fairly new drug. And the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, they get to cherry pick their data. So really, they were yeah. like, oh, it's the safest drug ever. There's no, nothing, no problems. And I'm like, Repeat it. I don't know, I, I don't know if I believe that. But, but unfortunately, like every other doctor in America, I didn't know anything about sleep. I, I'd never had a single class on sleep in medical school. Didn't have the foggiest idea of what should be happening. 
I knew what's called the mechanism of action of this drug, which means like, you know, molecularly, what does it do? Well, it binds GABA receptors mm. and has a, an effect like GABA. It's called GABA analog. I mean, benzodiazepines are the same thing, things like Valium. And so that was about as much as I knew. And I thought, well, what is GABA doing? <laughs> so then I had to go like read, or what is GABA supposed to do? And then you, you can't really understand that without understanding what's actually going on in sleep. So then I had to learn about sleep physiology and like what's supposed to happen during sleep and like what are the normal shifts and changes and what does that do? And if that doesn't happen, what sort of effects do you get? And so after studying quite a bit, uh, I figured out, you know, just the general Occam's razor principle, uh, the thing with the least assumptions is literally every single symptom that these men told me about could be explained by poor sleep. Yep. Now, I, I didn't think that it would be, right? I wasn't, I wasn't naive. That's uh, simple. But it could have been, right? So if this was definitely the most powerful thing because, uh, you know, being a Western doctor, like I wanted to give them Cortef and raise their cortisol. I wanted to give them testosterone and raise their testosterone. I wanted to get, like, I wanted to, like give them medication to improve their insulin sensitivity. Like I wanted to just go in there and do can do this, but I couldn't do that. Right. Cause you can't give seals medication that they're dependent upon because then what if they go out on the field and they're, they don't have their medication, they can't do their job and it's a waste. So that puts people on the bench that disqualifies people. So I couldn't do that. So I had to figure out, well, what else can I do? So like I said, the, the sleep was, this seemed like the unifying theory. So let me see about that. And this was right around the time that everybody was catching on to the importance of vitamin D3. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was associated with poor sleep. So I tested all my guys. Every one of them had low vitamin D3. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give them vitamin D3. I'm going to be a hero. Everybody's going to love me. I'm the best doctor ever. And, uh, you know, it helped a little bit. <laughs> but it wasn't everything. Uh, and then, like I said, you know, I had this epiphany with this sleep drug. And once I learned enough about the sleep drug, I'm like, oh, you aren't actually sleeping when you have sleep drugs. You're just unconscious. Exactly. You're like, your brain is dissociated, but it's not sleep. Because sleep has to have, as one of its criteria, you have to have this predictable sleep architecture. You have to be going through these sleep cycles that, that take you through these different stages in a predictable pattern. And it's repetitive. And it's primarily deep sleep in the beginning of the night. And almost exclusively REM sleep by morning. And you have to do that transition. If you don't do that, then it's not sleep. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it can be partially sleep if you're just getting poor sleep, but I was having these guys do sleep studies and they were coming back with 99.9% .9 of their sleep study being stage two sleep, wow. which is just the transition. It's what we call the transitional sleep phase. So it's not deep or REM. Wow. So they weren't really getting any of the benefit of sleep. And, and of course, that's an oversimplification. They're obviously getting something or they'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but we don't know what they're getting because all we know is that healthy sleep does this. And when you go through these cycles, we know these things happen. Like when you're in deep sleep, we know that's when you're the most anabolic and you're secreting your anabolic hormones like growth hormone and testosterone and like uh, DHEA is being ramped up. Your immune system's being ramped up. We, we know this happens. And then we know in REM sleep what's going on in the brain, the physiological changes, forming your, you know, forming more durable neurotracts, 
uh, neurological memories, shifting things from working memory into long-term memory, um, pruning off useless information, these little boutons that grow on the side of your nerves that are starting to bud new information. You're like, I don't need that. And you clean up all that. You get rid of waste products and you get the brain working better. Uh, And the whole purpose of going to sleep tonight is to prepare myself for tomorrow, right? Whatever I do today, that's what my brain and body are going to think it needs to do tomorrow. It's going to use today as a template to try to make me better tomorrow at doing what I did today. And if I don't get enough sleep, if I don't get to restore, I still have to do tomorrow. And how do I do that? Well, I do it the same way you do any stress. I use my renal, I bought a bunch of cortisol and DHEA and I start robbing all my nutrients for my cells. You know, my, you know, my blood glucose is going up. I'm getting fuel sources that way. I have epinephrine and norepinephrine stimulating my brain and my tissues to be able to get energy wow. with really no energy there. And then I'm going to bed with these really high stress hormones, which are supposed to be low when I sleep. And then I'm yeah, trying to sleep with high stress good. hormones. Then I get worse sleep wow. and then I need more stress hormones tomorrow. And that's what breaks people. Nice. And in fact, in fact, when you see somebody who doesn't sleep well for even six months, they look so much older. You know, why do they look old? That doesn't make sense. Like just because they're tired, is it tired old? Well, if you think about it, you know, you're born into this contract. You're born into this contract. You can't get around it. It's just, just like you're born knowing you're going to die. 100% certain you're going to die. There's also this other contract that's certain is you your body ideally works for about 16 hours and it needs eight hours to recover. That's the way it works. Like that's what you're born into. That's, I mean, there's small variations there, but obviously like you can't get around that. And so if you don't get those eight hours, you didn't recover from those 16 hours. And so if you think about logically, obviously when you're a kid, you need more sleep. So it's not a great example when you're really young. It's, uh, Kids actually sleep a lot more than eight hours by and large, but you see them actually getting better every day, right? They're growing, they're getting smarter, they're getting more coordinated. You can see that every day. But if you think about, say, like once you hit 25 and your brain's fully formed and everything's, you know, sort of static, if you could recover 100% every night and wake up the next morning as good as you were that other morning, you wouldn't age, right? There would be no aging because you would have recovered 100%. Is that important? Yep. So everything that you're deficient in, so if you're missing 10%, well, you're going to age, you know, that 10%. And if you're missing a little more, you're going to age a little faster. So when you see people who haven't been sleeping well for a year, they are literally older because they haven't, they've been recovering less and less every night. So yeah, there's a breakdown in their protein structure. But, you know, there's break. There's a decrease in their blood supply. Their you know peripheral vascularization, like their tissues are aging. There's a buildup of waste products that aren't getting out, and that's toxic, and that's damaging mitochondria, and you know forming more senescent cells, and like all these other things, they're building up. And that every marker we have, even genetic marker, when you look at you know telomere length and methylation on on the on the genes, every marker they look older and that, wow. and when you look at them, they look older. And that's why, because that's really what aging is. It's really just the absence of being able to recover a hundred percent every night. And as we get older, we just don't repair as fast. And that's unfortunately when most people quit sleeping as much. Um, and now that's a double, you know, it's a double 
double whammy there. You're, you're getting twice the aging effect that way. Um, yep. and, that, and there's no reason to sleep less when you get older. Uh, you know, that they're well, yeah. it's, it's typical, but it's not something you have to do. I've had, I've had 84 year old women who haven't slept more than four or five hours in 20 years. And I get them to sleep eight hours a night. Yeah, I've got one over there who's rustling around, walking around behind me. <laughs> <laughs> He's 80 years old, nearly. Hey, mum. <laughs> and and she, yeah, she's struggling with with, with sleep in the early morning hours, uh, and yeah. therefore, you know, her her memory and things. So I want to pick your brain on on that. And actually, I mean, can I just slow you down a little bit because we've just covered a, <laughs> a ton of ground. Yeah, here. All you told me to do is ask. You just asked me about myself, and I just couldn't stop. <laughs> no, but you were you were on an absolute roll. So I didn't want to interrupt you because there was just so many things. But my brain's just going like, "There's so many questions. There's so many questions." Yeah, that was just meant to be an overview. Yeah, there was an overview. Now can we dive deeper into some of the, the weeds? Because now I understand why you've become Doc Parsley, the sleep expert, because obviously that was the biggest leverage. In other words, this is the biggest leverage point that you see. You know, we, when we think of the, the seals, we, we sort of think of the seals as being, you know, uh, these gods of amazingness that can do everything. And, and But what you're saying is like these guys are pushing because they're pushing the limits of, you know, endurance and and, and mental fatigue and all, all these things that they so, they're going to be the, the canaries in the gold mine in a way because they're going to be coming up against the limits of everything. And, right. and just to, for you to say, you know, as an ultramarathon athlete, I've come up against the limits in, in certain ways, like with sleep deprivation. And, you know, I sort of understand some of the, the things now that you, you were talking about. So you don't, you, you've ended up finding out that this is probably the biggest leverage point in anybody's life, basically for their health, is their sleep. So I want people to sort of take a bit of a grip on that one. It's not necessarily the food or nutrition, it's the, the sleep. Would you agree? When I, first, when I first started lecturing, I used to say there were four pillars of health, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and then the fourth pillar, you audience dependent it could be mindfulness it could be yeah. stress medication it could be like community whatever it is that kind of controls your stress hormones and you know your emotions and your mood and all that stuff so and then after a while i just shifted i said you know what? there's three pillars sitting on the foundation of sleep because if you take the sleep away none of those other pillars work I there's mean, not there's yeah. nothing you can do and in fact if you exercise when you're sleep deprived it's counterproductive because you're not recovering and we all know that you don't actually get better when you exercise, right? You damage yourself when you get ex- when you exercise, and then when you sleep, you recover and you come back stronger. Um, you can't, you know, when you when you deprive yourself of sleep, you change your entire gut biome, you change your insulin sensitivity, you change everything. So you're, now your nutritional status doesn't work anymore, you know. And when you don't sleep well, as I said, you increase your stress hormones. So you can't really you can do the mindfulness training and all of that stuff, and meditate and all that, but you're just going to bring yourself down maybe to where you would have been if you just slept well and didn't do any kind of training. So it's really the foundation for everything. And, wow. and I say this all the time. It's, it, it sounds hyperbolic, but I'm hundred percent convinced it's true. There's nothing that you can do that will nothing that will break you faster than poor sleep and poor and insufficient sleep. There's a reason we use it as an interrogation technique. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There's a reason we break people down intentionally this way because it's, it's, it depletes all your resources. Um, you know, it interferes with your brain function, your willpower, your problem solving, your speech, your ability to formulate plans, your motivation, your mood, everything goes almost instantaneously with one night of lack of sleep, never mind 
you know, keep somebody up for three or four days in a row. They're just a mess. They just like, they're just an input mess. They just want you to just tell me whatever I have to do to do it. And I'll sleep like anything I can do to get sleep and I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to rip people's fingernails out of stuff just deprive them of sleep and say, and that's I'll let you sleep using if you do this. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and everybody will do it. And conversely, there's nothing that will improve the quality of your life and your performance faster than sleeping well. If you, if you're an inadequate sleeper, which most people are, they don't yeah. even know they are. Yeah. And I, you know, everybody has these 30 day challenges and 60 day challenges. I'm like, I only need seven days. Like give me <laughs> one week, one week with sleep is your number one priority and you do everything right. And you get eight hours of sleep, you know, eight hours, at least eight and a half hours in bed every night. And you're sleeping approximately eight hours a night and give me that for a week. And then if you're not convinced it's the most powerful thing, just go back to whatever you're doing. But don't, no, never, nobody's ever gone back. No, never, but you know, a lot of us, um, I can hear people saying, yeah, but I go to bed and I can't sleep and, mm-hmm. and I wake up at 2am and my brain's racing and I, and I've been told to do some meditation and maybe it's my cortisol. And, and, and so, okay, let's, let's look now. Cause we, I think like if we haven't got the message across now that sleep is the number one thing that you should be prioritizing above everything that I, you know, we haven't done very well in the last half an hour, but I think if, if, but how do we sleep? How do we, you know, what foods do we need to eat before we go to bed or not eat? What uh, supplements can we take? You know, you've got your your sleep remedy that we'll get into a little bit. What what routine can I do to optimize? What light-dark cycles? All of these sorts of things that can be leverage points for us in, in optimizing our sleep. So, and how do we test that if we're actually in that deep sleep phase? Uh, you know, what are the best tools that you've found to sort of work that out? So that was a mouthful, but. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing we need to do is get away from that frenetic question right there, which is what everybody's going through in their head. Oh, but what about this? What about that? And so here's my my job is to make this really simple. Um, because simple things we can do, and you know, the, the more the more nuanced your plan is around sleep, the more likely it is to fail. And we're, we're doing big macro movements here. So the very first thing is what you said, I think we've already, we've already covered. The very first thing is to convince yourself that sleep is the most important thing and to make it your priority for at least one week to get everything going. And when I say your priority, I mean priority, like the, the true meaning of that word, there's only one thing. There's nothing else most one, including raising your kids and your job and your exercise routine. Everything else, the most important thing, make sleep the most important thing for one week. Uh, and if you aren't quite convinced yet, go to PubMed or go to Google Scholar, something like this, and put in sleep and anything else you care about. Being a parent, mood, dating, sex drive, athleticism, strength, endurance, concentration, memory. I don't care. Whatever it is you care about. Strength and this. Strength and business. Strength and I don't, I don't care. Anything you want, read to the heart's content. It will convince you that the one good thing about sleep is that the sleep science is that it's not controversial. There's no one out there saying, oh, you don't really need to sleep. Or you don't really need it. Like everybody agrees. Uh, you know, there's nuances in people's approach, but everybody agrees you need about eight hours of sleep a night. Um, and just convince yourself that it's the most important thing. Once you're there, that, that's the most important thing. Now, after that, recognize, okay, I'm going to make this my number one priority. 
recognize that you're born to sleep. You don't like you don't need to learn it. You need to unlearn some stuff, right? Like unlearn. you're designed to do this, and this should feel good. You should enjoy sleeping. Like you should you should look forward to going to bed and waking up in the morning. But man, I feel so much better. I'm ready to go do my day. Like this should be as easy as selling sex, but it's not. Like people resist this <laughs> forever. Like I have no idea why. It's like it, it's it's great. Like why don't you like sleep? I've always liked sleep. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so then you just think, okay. When did sleep go bad for humankind? Probably in the last 70 years. Yeah, years. when we got electric light. <laughs> That's about it, right? I mean, it's only been really since rural electrification, right? Since they got electricity out to everybody. That's really when it started. I mean, you look back you know, in America just 100 years ago, look at people's journals in the winter. They spent like 14 hours a day in bed. I mean, that's a sort of normal thing to do. Wow. Um, you know? um, so... If you, if you think about it as it, and just say, I, I know this is simple. I'm going to let myself fall into it. And, and I'll tell you, there's all the sleep hygiene. You can go to, you can get on the internet and you can find, oh, you know, do this, drink, drink a hot cup of tea, drink a milk, do this, uh, make your room really cold, make your room really dark, make your bed really soft, make your bed really hard, get a white noise machine, get rid of all the EMFs. Like a million people are going to tell you all sorts of different things to do. And I'll, I'll cut through all the BS and then you can pick and choose. So right. the, the real answer is all of that stuff works to some extent. All of that's important to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I work with clients is 95%, at least 95% of all the success is from lifestyle. And then all these little gadgets and um, you know, mitigation tools and supplements and all this stuff, that, that's that other 5%. Right? It's 95% behavioral. So you just look back. How did we evolve to sleep? Nobody teaches people how to sleep, right? You, you're born as a baby, you sleep. So how did we, how did we sleep as adults and, and cultures a hundred years ago? Well, when the sun went down, we fell asleep about three hours later and we woke up around the time the sun came up. It was pretty much that easy. Okay. So let's reverse engineer that a little bit. I think most people know that blue light is a stimulus for being awake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, uh, we don't truly have a sleeping program. If you think of it like software, we don't have any sleeping software. We just have lack of awakening software. So we yeah. have things that go on in our brain and body that make us feel awake and make us mm -hmm. interact with our environment. Mm -hmm. And then when you take those things away, we're in what you call sleep. Wow. So the blue light, it actually has nothing to do with vision. There's nerve cells in the back of your eyes that sense blue light. That's all they do. Yep. And then they fire pathways back to the circadius, circuitous, you know, pathway in your brain. Yep. Eventually, the pineal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then you, the pineal gland secretes melatonin. The melatonin is, is a hormone. It's a starter pistol. It initiates all these cascades. And then one of the cascades that it initiates is the production of this peptide called GABA, capital G-A-B-A, caminobutyric uh -huh. acid. Yep. And what that does is it slows down the neocortex. So when you think of the human brain, the picture of the human brain, we all have that big wrinkly mass, it's sort of, you know, crescent shape. That's what we call the neocortex. And that is how we interact with the world, mm -hmm. right? All of our senses get processed in that. And then all of our movement is processed from that, right? Yep. So when we're asleep, all that's really different when we're asleep about um, 
in the general sense, right? Uh, there's nuances in every neuron and every molecule, but yeah. in the general sense, there's a barrier between us and our environment is how it's phrased. But what it means is we aren't paying attention to our environment anymore. Our eyes obviously still work, right? Because mm. you can turn on the light and you can wake somebody up. Our ears still work. You can make a noise and wake somebody up. Our sense of touch still works because you can shake somebody. They can roll into something sharp and their pain receptors will wake them up. Heat will wake them up. Cold will wake them. So we still work. Everything still works. We just aren't processing it. We aren't paying attention to it. Yep. And what helps us do that is GABA. So GABA is actually all of our neurons. And it, there's a, a neuron has what's called a resting potential. So there's like an electrical current in here. And when you put in enough electrical current, it goes like this and that neuron fires. And then right. it does whatever it does and forms pathways. Well, GABA lowers that. So now it takes more energy to make that thing fire. And you can overcome this by just putting a lot of energy into the cells. So if you've ever been exhausted, woken up exhausted, didn't get enough sleep for whatever reason, you're like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home and go straight to bed. I'm going to sleep like 12 hours. And then your friends talk you into going out to the pub and get a couple of drinks and you stay up to midnight. I feel fine. And then you suffer again the next day, right? Yep. Because you just overcame that. Mm -hmm. So, Think about, and, and you can actually read about this because this still exists, believe it or not. There are still, I think, 35 or 45 uh, communities, like pretty large communities around the globe that have never experienced electricity. And they, yeah, wow. they live so just study like, them. Live yep. like hunter-gatherers. Yep. They go out and the men go out and hunt and the women pick and nurture yep. their kids and weave and like just what you think of you know cavemen doing. Like they still live like that today. And we study these people and we and we did the uh, activity so it's not true sleep say but it's just movement to know when they're when they're likely to be asleep. Um, and what we find is the sun goes down Again, the blue light goes out of their eyes. It fires the brain, starts secreting melatonin. Mm -hmm. That leads to a cascade of 365 billion other chemical changes in the brain, right? But that initiation has to happen. Once that initiation is going, one of the things it does is secrete GABA, increase GABA production in lots of regions of the brain. That starts slowing the brain down. The sun goes down. They don't have electricity, right? Although the best they have is a fire. So what else, what else happens? The body temperature goes down. Mm-hmm. So when the sun goes down and it's dark, we can't see well at night. You can't see very far. So there's way less stimulus, right? Yep. They don't have flashing lights. They don't have loud music. So there's not much to stimulate them. So they sit around a fire, maybe if they're lucky. If not, they just sit around in the dark and they have some quiet, calm conversations. And then they drift off to sleep. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all sleep hygiene is. That's it. Yeah. Those three things. <laughs> Duck. Decrease the blue light, yep. decrease the stimulation to your brain, and drop your body temperature. Drop your so body you need temperature. To, you need wow. a cool place to sleep. One of the sort of one of the things that you can do to kind of speed these things up is concentrate the right nutrients in your brain. If you are going to take melatonin, you should take a very, 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 very small amount. I wanted to ask you, you about that. To, you just want to initiate, initiate. You don't want to put so much melatonin in your brain that your brain doesn't need to make melatonin. 
because then you start running into an insensitivity to melatonin. And now when you take it away, you don't have like you're essentially melatonin deficient because you've downregulated the receptors and your brain's not sensitive to melatonin anymore. I wanna, uh, can, I, can I just stop in there for one second, yeah. Doc? Because yeah. um, Dr. John um, Dr. John Lawrence is his name. He was on the uh, Ben Greenfield podcast and he's written a book about mm-hmm. melatonin. And he, he argued that melatonin, um, and, yeah, interesting work, um, doesn't downregulate when you take melatonin and doesn't cause that downregulation that mo- all the other hormones do. You know, if we take mm-hmm. testosterone, we're going to downregulate our own testosterone. If we take right. whatever, um, he said that they didn't. And he was advocating in his book for actually, um, you know, super, super physiological doses. Um, right. of, of, of melatonin. Um, certainly when you do things like, you know, jet lag or whatever you're trying to reset. Um, but mm-hmm. also for a, a raft of other ailments to help with, with many diseases. Have you heard of his work or, or, yeah, or I'm, 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 I'm familiar with him and his work. Yeah. What's your uh, take I, on that? Cause I was like, uh, I don't know. So I, I disagree, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, That's what I want to know. But, yeah. but specifically, uh, so what he's talking about, 90% of his work is about the antioxidant principle. Yeah, is an antioxidant, yep. Uh, pre-tonin, the great antioxidant. The studies, that he's, yeah, the studies that he's quoting saying that melatonin doesn't downregulate, we don't know for sure. It's like, mm, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. The only way we would know is if we could actually drop a catheter into somebody's brain and sample their, you know, their, yeah. brain, their fluid in their brain 24 hours a day mm, and study right. this over months. And so we can't say for sure. Right. Uh, we can do animal models. Again, it's hard to quantify because uh, from the time the sun goes down, which is about three hours before you'll fall asleep, to the entire time you've slept uh, until the sun comes up, you're looking at somewhere between 11 and 12 hours. From the time, from in that entire time, your brain will only produce five to six micrograms of melatonin. Tiny amount. So how do so how do we study, right? Um, Uh, uh. It's really hard to study, and and you think of it in a mouse model, how much smaller the quantities are. We're looking at that at that point, and the concentration of melatonin in each region of the brain is not the same. It depends on some cells in the brain can actually be stimulated by melatonin. It's somewhere. You know, yeah, like it's different. And same with GABA. Like GABA doesn't go to every region of the brain because it can stimulate regions of the brain. Um, but what we do know, and so first, I I always go with ear on the. We side. don't know anything. Yeah, we have research that makes us believe certain things are likely to be true based on the best science we have right now. So we don't yeah. know anything, and I believe that to be true about everything in yeah. science. Just wait a week it might change but what we do know yeah. is that every other hormone does this yes so if it doesn't do this it's the only hormone in the body that doesn't right, right. pretty unlikely but what we do know with 100 certainty is that it does downregulate melatonin receptors right if you take away melatonin receptors if i normally have 10 melatonin receptors and i go down to just having one well, now even if I'm saturated with melatonin, I only have one. Not gonna I, mean, get I have to have like, this super saturation for this one receptor to do all this work. And if I go down to normal physiologic levels of melatonin in this one receptor, and it's just getting an occasional melatonin coming by, I'm going to, it's no different. It doesn't matter that whether I'm not producing enough or I don't have enough receptors, it's the same end result because you have to have melatonin bind their receptor and get pulled into the cell to have its function. So can I ask one question there? Like, so for elderly who, who, who 
from what I understand in my basic research on, on melatonin is, is that the melatonin production goes down with age and therefore mm. they could benefit from melatonin supplementation. Is that a thing or is, again, I'm yeah, it's too Yeah, simple. I agree. I agree. Um, and so, so what's hap- what happens is the pineal gland calcifies. Yes. Yeah. Just like our arteries and like every vessel, everything in our body calcifies, right? That's, that's sort of aging one, you know, which sort of what it, one of the, one of the majors, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it calcifies and you do you do almost certainly secrete less melatonin, right? And again, the only way we would know is to drop a catheter into somebody's brain. Um, but you can, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take melatonin at all. I'm just mm. saying you shouldn't take super physiologic. So like his example of uh, your, when you're speaking about the melatonin work earlier, right? His example is, well, this is great antioxidant. And if I do this super physiologic amounts, there's all these benefits to it. Well, if I give you 10 times the amount of testosterone that your body ordinarily has, you're going to feel fantastic. Yeah, you also got to kill Does that make it good? <laughs> right? if, I, if I give you if I give you something that secretes a bunch of epinephrine and norepinephrine, like cocaine, yeah, and you have this huge rush of norepinephrine, you feel fantastic and True. you're super productive and your brain's really sharp. Does that make that a good idea? No. I don't. I don't think so. I don't deal with anything super physiologic. Again, yes. I'm a, I'm a behaviorist. I'm like ninety five percent of all your health is going to come from reapproximating the way you evolved. This Makes body sense. has taken hundreds of thousands of years to adapt to this planet. And now we're just like, now nah, we're smarter. Like I'm a 35 year old biohacker. I read a bunch of books. I know like I can, I can do it better than we know like, but can we, we know, augment? We need, we need like, we know like two thirds of five, eight to oh, you oh, know, that, like yeah. you know, don't <laughs> about the body. We know yeah. nothing. And, but, but can you know, we all mean for the for people like you know like we also know that people tend to die you know like uh, if, if we're wanting to extend our you know health span and our lifespan a health span mainly can we you know like with hormone replacement therapy you know there's a, the raging argument you know should should you be on hormone replacement therapy should you not if you're wanting to optimize now there's downsides and you need to understand your genetics and you need to understand all of those aspects but there is benefits to, for us to taking testosterone or you know DHEA right. or all these things in the right physiological doses of a say a 30 year old like right. I'm 50 I'm 52 I want to be at the level that I was say at 30 35 um, right. I understand my genetics. I know where my risk factors are. I can keep an eye on it, all of that sort of stuff. But then can I augment that so that I live and, and function longer? Because that I think is the, the, the core question here is how do we optimize? Yes, we've developed like cavemen, but they, they die at 70, 80 as well. And then, you know, can we, can we extend that by, by the, with the knowledge that we currently have? Well, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever promise anybody that I can make them live longer. Uh, I, I say, <laughs> well, no, yes. you might, you might live longer from this. If you, if you think about it, think about what it first talked about what sleep does. Right. And if we could catch up every night, we wouldn't age. Yeah. So, so what are we doing when we're doing things like hormone 
hormone replacement therapy, or we're doing metabolomics and we're doing all sorts of supplementation around that, or we're doing artificial things like hyperbarics and near and far IR and ice baths and doing all these things yep. to stimulate doing the all, production all of yeah. other things. Yeah. And of course, now we have, of course, we now have, we have antibiotics and we have like all sorts of treatments that keep people from dying as young from certain diseases. So certainly we should be able to either like probably add years to your life. But if not, definitely we can add life to your years, right? Yeah, so like if you're going to die at 80 either way, like one version of this, you could die hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. Exactly. Another one you die you in a wheelchair in a nursing home. Um, so I, I don't know. And the question is, I, you know, we even even with the longevity work that people are doing, like really smart guys like Sinclair and all these yeah. guys, they're doing all of these things with NMN and they're doing all these things yep. with, uh, you know, uh, clearing senescent cells. We're doing all these mm-hmm. things with peptides. And, you know, I give my patients peptides for certain things. I, I don't know nearly as much about the uh, as longevity stuff as, as I would like to, um, you know, and we, and we're reversing aging genetically, right. We're mm-hmm. going in there and saying like, actually over the course of a year, you know, with a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of effort, right? Yeah. A lot of tides, a lot of uh, a lot of modalities, um, like really focusing on your lifestyle and doing everything. Ideally, we can actually probably reverse your genetic age a little bit. Are we actually reversing your age? Don't know. We made your telomeres longer, decrease yeah. the methylation on your gen- on your genes, and those are markers for age. Mm. Does that reverse it? We don't we don't really know, right? It's like we've we, been around long enough to work like, it out, right? And it's it's like. Um, it seems it's like so. omega threes. It's like with omega threes, we know that these certain. If your omega threes are this, then we know that certain things go this way. Well, but if we supplement your omega threes, is that the same as you having that nutritionally? Or vitamin D three, is that the same? We don't know. We're thinking that it probably is, and we're thinking if we're reversing the markers we know for genetic aging, that's making you genetically younger. Mm. But maybe there's some totally different information in there that around aging that we don't know anything about yet, yep. right? Yeah, that's possible too. Um, and I and I think I think I think from what I know about you, you probably agree with me. I think epigenetics is more important than genetics anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, have, you have certain genetics, and you, I mean, you know, you change you change half a dozen things about your day and your epigenetics are totally different. Like one, if if you short yourself two hours of sleep, you change 735 different epigenetic markers from just two hours. And like, they're all, you're going like, like all your pro-inflammatory ones are the ones turning on and all of your anabolic ones are the ones turning off. And again, so it's still that biggest leverage point, isn't it? For aging. And, and, and it's so crazy complex. I think yeah. that you can you can decipher what 735 changes in epigenetics mean. Like, yeah, you know, and like we have some ideas of what certain things. How does all that work in synchronicity? Like, you know, the, the you know, we I love really, your approach. Even though we're the smartest animal on this planet, we still have we a still very don't. feeble mind. <laughs> when it comes to understanding the complexity of our bodies, yeah. I mean, we can't understand the complexity of the planet, much less our bodies and you know life is just this amazingly complex thing we don't have systems in our bodies we divide the body up in systems mm-hmm. as a way to mm-hmm. learn it so that we can systematically learn and we can test about the learning but the body doesn't work in systems i have and i have such an issue with that too because i think you know like you know the way that the, the medical model breaks us all time. down you know <laughs> right like uh, i mean the reductionist model doesn't work no. for for life it, and if you think about most of biology is purely descriptive 
all it is is like we've come up with better and better ways to test things and look at things, and then we can describe what's going on. We don't know how to manipulate it most of the time. And if we do, it's really clumsy and it's causing 500 other changes because we wanted to flip this one switch this way. And then what are the downstream effects? Oh, we don't know. We'll find out in like 30 years after 100,000 people go through this. Um, so like it's, it's really it's really clumsy. So I don't know. Can I make somebody live longer? I'd, I'd never I'd never make that claim. Uh, but can I make people feel and look, feel, perform better? Absolutely. Like you yeah. do it all the time. and. Uh, me personally, like you're saying, I just approximate youth. You know, there are arguments, yeah, there are people out there saying, yep. there, there are people saying, well, well, these hormones will cause this or that. I'm like, okay, if high estrogen levels cause breast cancer, why do you, why don't young women get breast cancer? Older, old women get, older women, right? They're the ones who are getting breast cancer. Why? Mm-hmm. Same thing with men and prostate cancer. Oh, give them testosterone, it's going to cause prostate cancer. No, it's not. No. If that were true, then 20 year old would have prostate cancer and 60 year old wouldn't. Right. It's it's a, it's a lack of this. And, and if in, you know, I think breast cancer is a lot like the prostate cancer. What we know of the prostate cancer now is that if you give somebody testosterone and they already have prostate exactly. cancer yep. that's sensitive to androgens, then you can you can expose you can the cancer ignite that you otherwise it, you wouldn't can. have found. Yep. Right. Or wouldn't have found for five or 10 more years, maybe. And I think breast cancer is the same way. Yep. I mean, it just makes sense. Um, and so, and how you're clearing you are, it out of your liver and all of that, and, right. you know, estrone versus estradiol and, you know, all of those sorts of things, that, those changes that happen, but yeah, totally. And, and also every single mechanism that I just talked about that, you know, is reversing aging or slowing aging or whatever the phrase you want to use, every single one of those things is improving mitochondrial density, improving mm-hmm. mitochondrial functioning and, mm-hmm. and, Doing Do you think that's at the core of it? Doing which, it's doing what's called neovascularization and angioneogenesis and angiogenesis. So, like, it's improving blood supply, it's improving lymphatic flow, and it's improving mitochondrial density and mitochondrial functioning. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much health, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. it's all of a lot of things work. I'm sorry. What was your question? Yeah, the, 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 mitoc- the mitochondrial aspect of it. You know, I I, I truly believe uh, that that's the, the core at uh, the core of so many of these diseases. Is if, if we can get our mitochondria, which is not easier said than done, but if we can get those working properly, and we can. Uh, right. that, that, that's that's at the downstream, the most lowest level where we can, and and again, sleep and things become the leverage point. Right. And and if you think about uh, you know, what all of the health crazes are moving towards, all of those things are doing that. Right. So like yeah. the, the, keto, the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, both of these things are increasing mitochondrial density. They're both increasing mitochondrial function. Um, they they're both really anti-inflammatory. Anti-inflammatory leads to higher blood supply, uh, better immune function, and you know immune function is this is anabolic, right? So it's like it's that's what's repairing and building things back up. You know the near far IR saunas doing the same thing: mitochondrial yeah. density, mitochondrial functioning, hyperbaric, hyperbaric oxygenation, increasing. You know, decreasing, decreasing cytokines, inflammatory cytokines, increasing, uh, you know, the oxygen saturation throughout all the cells, causing new blood vessels to form, carrying more. And it's all mitochondrial density. Um, you know, what else are we doing? Uh, cold ice baths. Ice baths, Same yeah. thing. Ice Sonas, baths are showing to increase what, of course, they only increase 
your, your, they're, they're, they're going to increase your blood flow to save you from freezing. Right. And how are you going to do that? It's, it has to grow new blood vessels. And how's it got to do this? Got to get more, it's got to get more energy. Well, how's it going to do this? Got to make more mitochondria. Um, you know, all of this stuff. And, and the other thing that it does is it increases uh, things like BDNF. So like it's helping repair and restore our brains. And then that's leading to better hormone functions because our, our brain is the hormone master. It's the, it's the orchestra leader. It's the maestro, you know, your, your pineal gland and, and pituitary. That's where, that's where everything is. That's where everything's coming from. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmity.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmity.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatarmity.com and thanks very much for joining us. Can I ask you a little bit, because I know that you uh, have done hyperbaric work in, in your naval days, um, mm. and I've you know, got a hyperbaric right behind me there in the corner, um, and I'm very big on it, and like that was a cornerstone of my mother's rehabilitation after a massive yeah. uh, aneurysm and brain injury. Um, yeah. What's your take on, on, on it in regards to brain injuries, in regards to concussions, which is at epidemic levels in, in our world, yeah. um, and, and, and also for things like dementias and Alzheimer's? I mean, without obviously, you know, being your absolute area of expertise, but um, what is your take on, on hyperbaric for all of these sorts of things? So I, I think, um, I think hyperbarics is actually going to turn out to be the most effective uh, tool in the toolbox. I mean, I, wow. I think you have to use all the tools. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, I, and I have, I have all the tools at my house, right? I have yeah, a me too. At my, <laughs> at my house. I don't have hyperbarics. Uh, but um, so I just actually came back from doing a couple of months of hyperbarics in in Tampa, wow. and I have I have a great recommendation for a guest if you wanted to talk to somebody who really knows hyperbarics, and he's a he's a longtime friend of mine. I was in the Navy with him. Uh, he was a Navy master diver, and uh, oh and yes, he, please. He just got his PhD in um, biomedical engineering, and he has a he has a hyperbarics facility. He did oh, the first wow. research paper on the long haulers for. Uh, uh, COVID. Oh yeah. And re- reversing all the long hauling syndromes. Uh, you know, he, wow. he's, uh, he's done a paper on Lyme disease. He's doing a paper right now on dysarthria from strokes and all this. And, and he and I were investigating, uh, brain injuries, TBI. Oh, wow. And so I was I just, definitely I definitely want to meet this guy. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, I was the guinea pig. Um, and then another seal friend of mine, you know, because seals my age have the most problems, yeah. right? They're yeah. usually out this age, but I have a well, my best friend from SEAL training 
uh, and might say just my best friend overall, uh, he, you know, he was in the SEAL teams for 26 years. He did, wow. he did like 26, 27, 28 combat deployments. So, you know, he's oh. been in, like, I mean, he's been blown up with a grenade. He's been, yeah. you know, he's blind in one eye. He's been, you oh know, he had 20 plus surgeries and like he's, and he's the, like, that's the norm. That's the norm of how guys come out when they're my age and they stay in the whole time. Um, I don't obviously have nearly the kind of trauma that he does. So I wanted to bring him in too, but, um, <clears throat> Much like I did with the SEALs, I just said, uh, we're just going to test everything. And we're just going to test everything we can think of. So uh, I did uh, pre and post EEGs. I did pre and post PET scans for like consumption. Oh I did pre and post, what you call it, uh, psycho learning batteries of tests, like, you know, yep. testing yep. problem solving ability. Um, I did a bunch of hormone stuff. I did a bunch, I did genetic aging before. Like I did all of this stuff. Um, and then I just went and did a standard protocol, um, which is uh, essentially one hour at depth. So one hour bottom time at two ATA with 100% oxygen, five days a week. Wow. Take, take Saturday and Sunday off and did that yep. for eight weeks. Yep. Um, so was that 40 odd, 50 odd uh, sessions? Yep. Yeah. So it's just 40, yeah, 40 sessions. Um, and you know, it's a big commitment. It's a big time commitment. It's expensive. Mm. Uh, but I just want to see if we can use it for the SEALs because I still do a lot of work with guys who are getting out of the SEAL team or are out of the SEAL teams. And, you know, they, they break down when oh, hell yeah. it's a really, it's a really hard life. Yeah. And then they come out of it and they, and they don't have their community. They don't have their compensatory techniques anymore. They're going to new jobs where they don't know yeah. the way around as much. And they're, and plus they've been gone most of their career. Now they're home with their wife and their kids. And it's like a it's new just, thing. It's like, yeah. it's hard for them. It's super stressful. Yeah. And so I do everything I can to help these guys out. And mm. uh, anytime there's a new modality, anybody tells me, not that hyperbarics is new, but um, yeah, the postulate was going to help with TBIs that were five, 10, 15 years old. That's a new postulate. And so we're, we're doing our best to test that. And we're about to do it again. I'm going to go to a oh, one month. I so want, want to hear comment. the results of that, please, because, uh, yeah. you know, I think it, it, I think it's the most underrated thing in, that I've ever come across. And, you know, and I've been That's, studying for absolutely. a number of years. It, 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 absolutely. I know well, what it did to my mum. My mum went from being like a baby, no, hardly any brain function, to being right. full driver's license, full life, full, full everything. She was, she's walking and training at the gym every day. And that thing there in the corner was the catalyst for it. It, it gave right. me the stuff to do it. And I'm, you know, I've got a um, family member with, with brain injuries and I can't get him to get in there. <laughs> like repeated yeah. brain injuries from sport. And it's like, yeah, but can't you, can't, you know, can't you see what this is, how powerful this is, but it, it's a big time commitment. And even when it's, you know, sitting in your sister's house, you know, like, but it's really important yeah. that people do this uh, and get access to this. And, you know, like we do, we just had a, a Sunday program, which is our current affairs, a big current affairs program on TBIs from um, rugby players over here, mm-hmm. professional rugby mm-hmm. players and, and how many TBIs they get in a career and they're coming out and they're ending up with dementias and Alzheimer's and brain injuries and mood changes right. and testosterone down in the toilet and all these sorts of things. And not once did anybody say hyperbaric. And I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, right. you know, what do we have to do? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, I don't know why we're so bad at that. And under yeah. sort of all the, all the, all the Royal colonies were all, you know, the, the Israelis and the Russians. Oh, the Israelis are onto it. The, the Russians the, are onto it. 
The Germans like, are on top. Yeah, yeah, the Russians, the Russians, I think, have, I want to say they have 180 some odd approved uses. Israelis are like 116 yep. or 14. Uh, and then we just added one like a few months ago, you know, we only oh, had <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, you know, half of ours are really the same thing. You know, it's just like nuances of the same thing. And it, it's just, we don't get to use it very much. And when I was in the SEAL teams, even it was super hard for me to get it uh, for wound healing, although it's obvious use for it. And I would want to put guys in there after surgery and it was like pulling teeth every yeah. single time oh, I, yeah. I had to fight them. I had to fight the machine to get guys and there, um, and it, you know, it's a huge difference, obviously. Are uh, you aware of the work of Dr. Paul Harch? Um, HBOT.com is his website. He's done a hell of a lot in the hyperbaric space. Check him out. H-A-R-C-H, Dr. Paul Harch. Uh, no, real, real expert in this area. Um, and just on that point, like, like on about the machine, <laughs> the medical machinery that we have in our yeah. Western world, uh, and New Zealand is very similar to the States, what the hell are they doing? Like, why are we still in this prevented in this disease-based system? Like, where we are only like you were talking about rangers before, and you know, like no. these guys were still in the normal rangers, but they were having symptoms. You know, thyroid is another classic example of people that are not being picked up. Right. Yeah, you and know, all the all thyroid drop too. Yeah, and why, like, I mean, I've just been through a journey, which my listeners know, with my father who developed sepsis after a massive operation, and I won't go into the details, but I was trying to get intravenous vitamin C, and he was dying. And I and I couldn't, you know, like it was a – they had no other options where I've got this, I've got scientists, friends, doctors who were giving me the clinical evidence to present to these to the ethics committees and all these things yeah. while I'm fighting for his life and he's dying in front of my eyes and I'm not allowed to give him intravenous vitamin C, which has been shown in a number of clinical studies to drop the mortality rate by 48, 50%. And I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to do it. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going wrong with our system? I won the right, right but it took me 15 days. And by then my dad had multiple organ failure and, and, I, and I lost the battle for him. You know, like this system is just, I mean, I'm getting, I'll get off my soapbox in a minute, but why? As somebody who's been through the medical, the standard medical, and then gone out and done your own, like where are they going wrong? And is there a paradigm shift coming? Can you see a change coming? Man, I I really wish I, I really wish I could say yes to that, but um, I've become so disheartened after COVID. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know the politics there, but the politics here. The same it, It's just mind boggling yep. to me. I'm sitting here going, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, hydroxychloroquine has been around for like a hundred years. It's been around forever. It's over the counter in like 80% of the countries in the world. It's a very safe drug. There's almost no chance it's going to cause anybody harm. So whether anybody believes that it was helpful at the beginning or not, you had teams of doctors who were actually doing the work, the clinicians saying this works. And then you have these researchers and politicians saying, there's not enough evidence of that. Use this and don't use that and do it. But do a vaccine that's been untried on. I mean, there is, there is a doctor out here. So she's a doctor and a lawyer. Uh, she got thrown in jail for giving somebody hydroxychloroquine. You're kidding me. Prescribing hydroxychloroquine. She spent four days in jail. They You're kicked kidding. in her house. They kicked in the door of her house with a SWAT team with you know body armor and all their weapons and rushed her and 
and arrested this little hundred pound woman and put her in jail. Didn't let her call a lawyer or anything. Like, I mean, it was Gestapo that's stuff. Evil. That's evil. That's I, I've never, like, there's never been anything in the news, in the news cycle that carried the news cycle, like, to the extent of COVID period, but, you know, the, any, any really big event that I had any expertise in. So COVID was kind of the first time that the big nation focus was on something I knew about, right? Like, yeah. I, like I'm not a virologist, but I know, you know, I know how the immune system works. And yeah. I, you know, like I know what viruses are. I know how they, I know the life cycle of them. I know how this works. Like I, I know how medicines work. Like I have some expertise and I can, I can read what's out there and I can yeah. learn it really quickly. Yeah. Mm. And I was amazed at how dishonest and inaccurate mm. the, the media was. And it's probably that way for everything. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't have enough expertise to realize that when everything else is going on. <laughs> and so I've just become really disheartened um yeah, me too. The, that woman who got arrested she was in she was running something called the frontline doctors and her and a bunch of other doctors went to the capitol and they held this press conference and they told them here's the evidence this is all like here's the evidence of the medicine here's the safety of the medicine here's what we've been finding clinically we want to urge all doctors to do this and the fda cracked down and told people they couldn't do it I, as a medical doctor, could not call a pharmacist and tell them to prescribe hydroxychloroquine to my patients. A pharmacist could tell me no. A pharmacist said no, that's against the law. To a doctor. And and ivermectin is the other one of you. Ivermectin is exactly the same way. What the hell? Improvoxetine. And then these doctors have had a website where they've been making videos, they've been They've been posting with their videos, all of their references, all the clinical, they only using peer reviewed studies. They're going through mechanism, historical stuff. They're going through new stuff and they're posting it on there. Amazon just shut their website down. Yep. And just uh, yep. Nope, took yep. it away from them. Have you um, seen Dr. Robert Malone's where he was the founder of mRNA and he was on the, the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, that, I heard him on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, um, Okay, it was a really long interview and really in depth, but the thing was, this uh, this was censored. I watched them take it down, and I watch other people keep putting it back up. And then this, and now they've gone over to a platform called Odyssey, which that can't be censored because it's on the crypto uh, right. thing, which is like, oh, this, yeah. But why? Why when this is science? I, I know why, but uh, you know, like the. the the, the science is there. The clinical evidence is there. This is a, a safe – ivermectin's been on the market for 40-something years, 30 to 40 years, I don't know exactly, but it's off patent. Yeah. Nobody can make money out of it. And then yeah. if they have a therapeutic, they can't do the vaccine under the emergency law. And yeah, vaccine- I mean, that's, I've, I've heard that postulate. I think it's very realistic yeah. um, because – but the other side of it is that <clears> – <throat> If there's one thing that's been proven in the last year and a half uh, to two years in America is that the powers that be can do whatever the hell they want to. So they could have approved emergency use even if there were 10 treatments because they just wanted to, you know, because they just do whatever they want to do right now. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's against the law. Tough. We're going to do it anyway. We want to make some billions out of something. Uh, So we're going to do it anyway. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very Very disturbed by it. Um, you know, but I would say 10 years ago, I was really excited that there was going to be a paradigm shift. I've been waiting for it to happen. I don't know why it doesn't happen. You know, like I said, I started studying all this stuff around 2009 and going, well, man, this makes a lot more sense. And and now, 
but I'm but I'm not saying that Western medicine is all bad because if you're if you're talking about somebody who's on death's door or somebody who yeah. just got run over by a bus or somebody who's severely sick, yes, Western medicine is great. But to keep people from getting severely sick and to be keep people aging well and to perform well, that's a total different ball game, and that's not what the medical professionals are trained to do. And the ones that are trained to do that get marginalized. They aren't the real doctors. They're like the naturopaths and a real doctor over here. It's like, yeah, kind of, you're kind of like a doctor, but yeah. we're going to put you in this little box. And, second you know, class you're gonna, citizen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're not a real citizen. thing. Um, and, you know, and if there's one thing that I've proven to myself over this, uh, over, uh, you know, over a decade I've been doing this now is that I'm most of my value is, 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 is being a coach. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor, but I pretty much coach people in lifestyle change. Like that's, that's 90, that's 90% of what I do is I get people to change their behaviors. No one and can make money I, out of that. Then <laughs> I give hormones and then I give peptides and then I give you know, supplementations. And then we do little gadgets that you, you know, you want to monitor everything about yourself and learn, you know, you know, monitor your heart rate variability and your sleep and all that. And you want to get every piece of data and continuous blood glucose, do whatever you want. all that stuff that's where it goes. let's get you sleeping well let's get you eating whole foods and no junk you know let's get you exercising to the level that is appropriate for your fitness level currently and let's get your stress hormones down and get your mood and mood and uh thinking all in line with some mindfulness training or wh- whatever you do with that and that takes honestly it takes nine months yep exactly and it takes time it takes massive yeah. effort and it takes behavioral change which people just don't want to do behavioral change because it's much easier to take a pill it's much mm-hmm. easier to take something simple and i mean that's and just the way humans are we want it easy give me a pill and there's, and there's great salesmen telling them that they just eat this superfood this little sterilla or like whatever this oh this weird bacteria we found in some cave under the amazon like this is the key <laughs> like not really nobody's ever been able to use it before and it's the key now i see that makes sense uh, <laughs> and, and people want that magic bullet you know uh and you know it, it's hard to, it's hard for some people i mean i'm i'm fortunate and it's never really been that hard for me I, um you know i'm just not somebody who's had a lot of hunger cravings like i don't really crave bad food it's easy for me to eat a good diet and um, and there's a lot of genetic factors in all in, in these things and there's a te- you know when you look at our evolution then you know it makes sense that we go after fat and sugar and salt because that's what we oh, yeah. have enough of and so we that, that well, that's what protects you from famine and Right, and that's <laughs> so we're going, route. but we need to understand how the how the big food industry then is is tapping into those addictive mechanisms in our brain to make us want more. You can't eat one chip. I mean, anybody knows who's eating a pack, open a pack of the chips. You can't eat one chip. You're going to eat the whole packet. You yeah, know, I call them crisp. I thought you call them crisp. Um, <laughs> no, we call them chips. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I actually have this postulate of where donuts and coffee came from. Anyone here? Yeah. So, yep. So what, what we were saying, I was, what I was saying earlier, if I don't get enough sleep tonight, so I don't recover, I don't get the right deep sleep, my anabolic hormones don't change around, my, uh, my insulin sensitivity shifts, my uh, appetite regulation, ghrelin and leptin, like my fat metabolism regulators, all of that's off because I didn't sleep well, right? And so I wake up the next morning and I have high stress hormone because I didn't get enough sleep and I'm using stress hormones to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And another thing that happens when you're asleep is you flush the toxins out of your brain. And yes. I, 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 lymphatic. 
yeah, the lymphatic flow, right? And I, I use that word sparingly, but in, in part of the dual partitioning and regeneration fuel source, one of the things that we're doing is we're replenishing ATP, right? Mm-hmm. So ATP is a triphosphate adenosine with three phosphates on it, and then it goes down to ADP and AMP and then just A. Mm-hmm. And adenosine binds to areas of your brain mm-hmm. and tells your brain we're exhausted. We yep. burn all this out. We need to sleep. And that's what we call sleep pressure. Yep. Yep. That's the drive that just makes you want to crash. And you know this well from being an athlete and pushing yourself yep. to the extent that you can lay down on a cactus and fall asleep. Yep. You're just so damn tired. And you say, got to sleep. And then only takes, it only takes a few hours to flush that adenosine out, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you have enough stress hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and all that, you can get up and go again. So, um, so our insulin sensitivity goes down especially in our fat cells and then our leptin sensitivity goes down. And so we're convinced we need to actually store more fat and then we still have adenosine and the way caffeine works, right? Caffeine blocks the adenosine, adenosine right? And so if, so your body now believes that it's starving, the only reason that, so we're the only Uh, animal, we're the only animal on the planet that sleep deprives ourselves on purpose. Every other mammal the only time they will ever sleep deprive themselves is if they're being pursued, if they're being preyed upon, or if they're starving to death. If they're starving to death, they need to go further to forage for food. And it shuts off the prefrontal cortex. It makes you take more risks. You'll eat novel foods. You'll try some things that might keep you alive that you wouldn't otherwise try. So you wake up essentially with your body convinced that you're starving. One, you deprive yourself of sleep. So every day you wake up without enough sleep, there's some trigger in your brain that's saying, are we starving? Are we being preyed upon? Like, what's the threat? Like, there's a threat on us, right? Yeah. And now you have all this uh, appetite regulation and fat metabolism. All these regulators are off. Mm. And your body's convinced that you're starving. Mm. And what do you need when you're starving? You need glucose right now. Yep. And then you need a bunch a of fat. <laughs> right? Yep. And what is, what is a donut? It's fried <laughs> glucose, right? So it's like glucose fat. and fat. And then you drink coffee to displace the adenosine. Oh, it makes sense. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, so that's, <laughs> I think that's where coffee and donuts come from. That's Kurt Parsons' theory 101. Like, I don't know, do it what you want. Never, never been published. <laughs> no, but that's brilliant work. That's a brilliant deduction. And it's so true. And then we take more coffee to keep ourselves going, and then we cause less adenosine oh. to come, and then, you know, we can't get oh, to sleep. This- this is one of the most beautiful things. So I, I was actually doing a sleep lecture with three others, uh, three other sleep experts uh, of all different fields. There's you know some psychiatrists there and some you know uh, sleep practitioners that do CPAP sleep disease, like actual yeah, yeah. sleep yep. specialists. Um, and we were all going to you know the series of lectures during the day, that, uh, and we we're waiting around for our car to come get us, and we're sitting in the lobby, and the lobby had a Starbucks. And they just happened to have like propped up in one of those. Little poles with the they slide them in here, and it was just sitting right next to the bench we we're sitting at. And they had all the nutritional information of their drinks. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and I go, Oh my gosh, and I'm pointing, I'm getting my I'm like, look at this. And they're all looking around, like, oh my gosh, that explains a lot. So when you look at uh when you caffeine intake or the effects, the beneficial effects of caffeine intake on what we call a hormetic curve, right? So it's like yep. Yep. more is better until more is worse right yes yeah. like curve like this and the, when it starts getting worse is about 200 milligrams yeah so which is what two cups of coffee it's 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 yes yeah, it's, it's not even two full cups of drip, drip coffee right and so uh 
After that, though, you actually get the exact opposite effect. So caffeine actually makes you start feeling more tired. Wow. And, and why Starbucks, and yep. Starbucks has these 800 calorie coffees. Wow. That 100% of the calories are from sugar, right? Because they have syrups and whatever in them and creams. Holy and then I uh, with 600 milligrams of caffeine. Oh. <gasps> So what happens when you drink 600 milligrams of caffeine, you're sitting there, I'm feeling, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling better. I'm drinking this over time, right? And then I finish my coffee and a couple of half hours later, I feel awful. And what do I, what do I think I need? Coffee. Cup of coffee. Go back and get another one. <laughs> and people <laughs> don't equate that. And then they don't understand how long it takes for the caffeine to be processed out of the body. And then yeah. 12 hours later, they're not going to sleep and they're thinking that they haven't equated it to the third cup of coffee that they had today. Yeah, they have no sleep pressure like we're talking about, right? Yeah. They block on the adenosine receptors. Plus, it's led to some stimulation of stress hormones and their stress hormones are too high to sleep. And, then, uh, and on that point, I just when you know when when I was talking about my dad before, and I was in the hospital with him for you know it was sixteen days, we were fighting for his life. And that time, I had maximum two hours sleep a day because I was just there at the hospital, you know, advocating, protecting. I wasn't leaving his side as you know as if I could stand up. I was there. Um, after sixteen days, I had diabetic. I was diabetic. Mm. Like my uh, my my blood sugar levels were through the roof. You know, yeah. and, and all of my, uh, so, and, and that led to a whole lot of, you know, downstream effects that I'm still unpacking now. And it's now a year later, you yeah. know, like, uh, uh, this is how quickly it can happen. I mean, and, you know, in a time like that, you've got to push, you know, it's the same when you're doing ultra marathons. I ran ultra marathons 25 years doing crazy long distance stuff. When yeah. I ran through New Zealand and I was running 500 kilometers a week, I got fatter. Like, go yeah. figure that one out. Because there was over, I don't know how many calories I was burning a day. It was in excess of 10,000 calories a day or more. Mm. And, and I wasn't getting anywhere near that calories in. And yet my body got fatter. My composition changed. My hormones went down the, the shitter. You know, all of these things. are like we think that the more we train, because this is another argument that I have a lot with my athletes that I train, is that, uh, you know, more is always better when it comes to mm. exercise. And that's not true. Sometimes more is just more. Uh, and, and often if you're sleep deprived, you know, more is worse for sure. Like you don't, you don't really need to do any exercise. You just need to stay active until you've recovered and then you can exercise again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you have, if you, if you, uh, you know, when I was, when we were talking before the, uh, the, we started the recording, I was telling you that I, I, you know, tampered with I, I yeah. traveled and trying to do some triathlons and marathons and things like this and I just I just wasn't well suited for it but definitely the fattest I've ever been in my life wow unquestionably like I just I just wasn't I just wasn't suited for it and it was too much stress and it was and causing your body to put on everything wow. and so I was just I was broken down I was losing my hair and I like had a first time in my life I've ever had a belly you know like wow. I like, like I I've had plenty of times right I have like a six pack ad, whatever. I actually, I'm like, where, where did this come from? Never mm-hmm. had this before. And I was still pretty young, I'm 35 at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I know for a fact that if you, there's, there's research, it's not all tissues, but some of your tissues, the insulin sensitivity is decreased by 30% just by losing two hours of sleep, one night or two hours of sleep. So you go from, say, so sleeping eight hours of sleep, six. If you're pre diabetic, you're waking up diabetic. 
Yeah. If you're normal, you're waking up pre-diabetic probably. Yeah. And then if you do that for several nights in a row, you might actually be driving yourself into it's diabetes within a week or two. Like you don't really know that nobody, not a lot of people, you know, track themselves that much yeah. for us to know that certainly. But um, again, it's, yeah. it's super complex because there's all sorts of hormonal regulations and genetics and vascular flow and activities and diet. And like, there's a lot of things going into that, but as a general rule, you can say the testosterone, if, if you lose two hours of sleep, testosterone is 30% lower wow. growth hormones, 30% lower inflammation is 30% higher leptin sensitivity is down 30%, insulin sensitivity is down 30%. And this is in one night. You've lost Jeez. two hours. You've only lost 25% of your sleep. And this lot, and you're losing 25 to 30% of the benefit of sleep. No big, no big surprise there, right? That's if, so six and a half really, hours a day, you know, like the average, you know, person I reckon probably gets six and a half. I don't know what the stats are, but six and a half to seven hours a day. How many America, people America's just dropped under America's just dropped under six wow. the last year. But it, when I started this in 2009, it was six and a half, 6.45, I think. And we think that's enough. That's close enough. Yeah. It's not close enough. No. We need no. eight hours. It's like, that's like saying, well, you know, I need, I only need 2,800 calories a day. So 35 is close enough. I'll stay lean, right? No, it's like, no. you know, like yeah. uh, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, so you know, it, it, it's best to get as much as you can possibly get. <laughs> and if six and a half is all you can get, and I understand that some people's lives are that way. This isn't a, 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 this isn't a bash the individual. It's a cultural problem. It's not an individual problem. No, it's a cultural uh, problem. In some cases it is, but in most cases, it's a cultural problem. They've grown up believing that sleep is for the weak and lazy people sleep more and uh, really productive people get up, up early at and handle at both ends and get all the work done. And they're the high achievers and that's who you want to be. And they're going to make the money. Yep. And they're the sexy ones. They're going to marry the good spouse and they're going to have the beautiful kids. And because they're getting after it and you're like, you're lazy, just sleeping eight hours a day and people buy into that yep. especially like i chose the, probably the worst two professions in the world you yep. know being you know, like, seals are like Still yeah, dog, you, that's a total luxury man that's for that's for weak people and you can you get all sleep you need when you're dead right that yeah. saying and then medical school same things like you're in the hospital like sleep you don't you aren't getting to sleep like this is there's people's lives in the line here go make some bad decisions you know yeah. um and uh <laughs> i mean it's 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 just it's a crazy, crazy world. Um, and I tell you, you know, people pay a lot of money to work with me. Uh, and I'm not saying that to be braggadocious. I'm saying for the point being, it's hard to get to work with me, right? I, I, there's, a, there's a waiting list. I test, like I seriously screen people because I don't want to work with somebody who's going to be a pain in my ass. Um, and I'm not working with anybody who's not super motivated. And you have to pay me a lot of money because I don't work with very many people. I spend a lot of time with each person. And uh, the hardest thing, even though I'm known for sleep, the hardest thing for me to coach people to do is sleep. I mean, I could tell them they'll do anything. Like they're ready to do anything. When I say sleep eight hours a night, that's when they're like, whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up. Right. Because they don't. <laughs> it's the thing of my life. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm like, I want you to do yoga two hours a day, exercise two hours a day, eat nothing but kale. They're like, okay. And I'm like, I want you to sleep eight hours a day. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. I can't do that. You know, um, and you're known for the sleep. I'm like, like, that's the most important part. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. It, but it's hard. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of social conditioning conditioning around that. Most yeah. people know they don't eat well. Most people yeah. know they don't exercise enough. Most people know they're too stressed. Yeah. It's hard to convince people they aren't sleeping well. And what about uh, our kids? Like like our kids are going to school early, and and you know what sort of damage are we doing to our kids by making them? And adolescence is even worse because in adolescence you your your body clock changes. Can you just speak briefly to that? And then I, we will wrap up because I am taking I, up a lot of your time. I did. I actually did a five hour lecture. Uh, five hours, no, eight hours a day for five days in a row. Uh, in Germany, I was I was lecturing uh, the student or the the uh, the faculty, the the counselors, uh, the coaches, and the teachers of the school systems for the American kids that were in uh, overseas, uh, you know, military kids that are you know. Uh, and so I was I was lecturing all of this, and that's when I really dove into the research. I didn't know a lot of this before, and this was probably six or seven years ago. Um, but what we're doing to our kids is tragic. It's way worse than what we're doing to ourselves as adults. It's way worse. Wow. Um, it, the really concerning thing is that obviously a kid's brain isn't fully developed, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's primarily what those 18 years are about. It's not nearly as much about the physical as it is about the mental. And one of the last things to form is the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part like from my temples forward over my eyes, like that little wedge. And that is the part that makes us the smartest animal on the planet. That oh. is what we call the, uh, Robert Sapolsky calls uh, the simulator. It allows us to simulate things. We don't actually have to do them to figure out if they're a good idea, right? I don't need to jump off my roof to know if it's a good idea or not. Yeah. I've never jumped off the roof of my house before, and I can guarantee you it's a bad idea. It's like yeah. 30 feet to the ground. I'm going to get hurt. There's no way I'm going to do it. I don't have to do it to know that's a bad idea. I don't have to flip my boss off to know that I'm going to get fired if I flip my boss off, right? I, <laughs> and like all of these uh, behavioral gates, that's all prefrontal cortex. Also, all of our willpower is prefrontal cortex. So your ability to have a plan and stick on your plan relies on you going, I want the future. I want what, what my plan will get me in the future more than I want the immediate gratification right yeah. now. That's all willpower. That's 100% prefrontal cortex. Wow. As mm. soon as your prefrontal cortex goes away, you start negotiating that out of the way. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's only one piece of cake. And mm. uh, like, I'm still, I'm still going to lose that 15 pounds before my wedding, whatever people's goals are, right? Um, and our problem-solving ability, our verbal fluency, our ability to recognize other people's emotions when we're talking to them, our ability to actually communicate, listen, and understand what they're saying, our ability to regulate our own emotions and our own speech and communicate effectively. All of that is prefrontal cortex. This is the social part of our brain. Well, guess when that part's forming? When you're a child. <laughs> adolescence. Yeah, well, and what else yeah. happens in adolescence? What else happens in adolescence? There's a phase shift in circadian rhythm, and mm-hmm. the kids need to stay up later mm-hmm. and wake up later. That's just the way their circadian rhythm has shifted. There's nothing you can They're do. They're not about lazy. That. They're not being lazy change. teenagers. Right. And instead, we're waking them up earlier as they get older. And like, you know, these kids are having to get to school at 7.15 in the morning, which means they're getting up at 6.15. They're probably not falling asleep until 1 a.m., right? And it's worse because they don't just need eight hours of sleep. They need need about 10 hours of sleep. So they're getting half as much sleep as they need. And then we're shoving them off to school and we're saying, why are you misbehaving in school? Why aren't you paying attention? 
Well, it'd be the same thing as if you got ADHD. Yeah, time. you have ADHD. It would be the same as if you and I had to get up at two thirty in the morning and go be in, go to be at work at three thirty in the morning, and we're expected to learn. We're expected to be able to communicate effectively and behave well and pay attention and be energetic. Like we couldn't do it. No, kids can't do it either, and we're interfering with the development of their brain and the prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed until you're at the earliest, maybe 20 for women, women, Woman, women's yeah, brains form a little faster, like, but it's, 20, it's up to 25 years old. And yeah. a lot, and a lot of men are right at that mark, 23 to 25 and about a quarter of the women are still 23 to 25. So the most formidable years are high school and college and early employment. And what, and what do people do in early employment? They go hang out with their friends. They go to the bar. They drink. They have fun. They watch movies. They go to bed. They get up early. They go to work. They do the same thing every day. Um, so they're the, the most sleep-deprived years are the most formidable years of the brain oh development. God. And then we wonder why depression and suicides and accidents and all of these things that happen to our youth and disproportionately is a part yep. of that, part of it at least, because of and all this. There's this fascinating new field in medicine uh, called chronobiology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm right into chronobiology. Yeah. And, and what they've discovered is it probably, we don't know for sure, but it's probably every psychiatric disease and probably every psychological se- severe flare-up or whatever you want to call that uh, that's always preceded by sleep deprivation. Wow. So depression. So every, everybody, everybody who's depressed didn't sleep well before they became depressed. And now the depression's a lot, about half of them, it's making them sleep a lot more, but half of them, it's preventing them from being able to sleep. So now they feel sleepy all day. Um, every site, like anytime anybody has a schizophrenic break, there's a, there's a period right there. Uh, people with bipolar who have, uh, you know, before they go into their uh, frenetic phase, right? Yep. Um, um, they're, they uh, have a they have a period of sleep deprivation, yep. and then and then after their manic phase, they go into their depressive phase, um, and that sleep. can actually lead again. Half of them are going to sleep less, and half of them are going to sleep more. Uh, but there's always sleep regulation around it, and so they're. Uh, the first book I read on chronobiology uh, at some Ivy League hospitals, I think it was Harvard, you know, one of those Harvard, Yale, you know, like Cornell, something like that. And their attached hospital, they took their inpatients, right? So their psychiatric inpatients. And all they did is get them out in the morning and get them to walk around the yard and do this. And it was, it was amazing. It was, I think it was, it was at least 50%. It might've been 75% of their patients completely came off their medications. Wow. These are people who were inpatient. They'd been on they'd been on hardcore antipsychotic medication for years and maybe decades. And they get them not just decreased 100 percent off of medications by getting their by getting their circadian rhythm and chronobiology along. Wow. And it, you know, it's, it's deeper than I know. I haven't studied it really deep. I mean it, you know, we yeah. have the ultimadian rhythms as well as the circadian rhythms. And so yeah. Um, it, you know, how all that aligns, I, I can't, I can't say like what, you know, what's the neurophysiology going on to break people out of that. But again, does it really matter? 
It's lifestyle. It's working. And it's easy. It's lifestyle again. Try it's it, same, you know? the same damn thing. You know, like yeah, if, yeah, they yeah. Lived, if they lived as hunter-gatherers today, they would get up when the sun came up and yeah. they would have to go out and do things. And they'd, right? and they'd be in the sunlight and then it would get dark and they would get cold and they would fall asleep. Um, so again, it's like lifestyle handles 95% of this. Yep. And we just, we, our ancient DNA, we just cannot escape our ancient DNA. And when we try to with me and we put people on drugs and we do all these interventions, why don't we try this stuff first? Why don't we try this basic stuff? Well, when, when you look in hospitals with their 24 hour lights and their beeping and they're waking people up all through the night and, you know, all of these things with our <laughs> sickest populations, just as well, like, Mind blows me. It's, it's the whole philosophy of how pharmaceuticals come about that's wrong. So take sleep drugs, for instance. So we talked earlier about Stonox, right? So what that does, it acts like GABA, okay? So what I told you that GABA is slowing down the brain. So when I get stressed out, when I start living in artificial light and, you know, air conditioning and heating and I've taken myself completely off the planet, right? Like I, I make it hot when it's cold, cold when it's hot, dark when it's light, light when it's dark. I do whatever the hell I want to do, eat stuff that's not even related to food. Like I can do whatever I want. I like am totally taking myself off this planet. Like mankind has got it all figured out. And of course I now I have sleep problems. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and then maybe I'm overstimulating myself. I'm watching movies or playing video games or going out to nightclub or whatever it is, I'm overstimulating my brain and I can't get to sleep at night or I'm in bed and I'm getting, I'm going through divorce or bankruptcy or whatever. My brain's just racing and I can't slow down my brain. GABA's job is to slow down my brain. Well, my GABA is not doing it. So what does pharmaceutical industry do there? Right? So I have a receptor that binds GABA. I have GABA floating around my blood supply. It grabs this, pulls it in the cell, and it does what GABA does in that cell. And we'll say that's a one. It does it. One GABA does an action of one on a scale from one to ten. One. So now they come up with benzodiazepines. Also act like GABA. They're GABA analogs. And what do they do? They bind for GABA. They bind that GABA receptor. It gets pulled in. Instead of doing one out of 10, it does 100 out of 10. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then they came out with the Z drugs. And they're like, hey, we got this even better. Now, this Z drug binds in here. The still not binds in there. Pulls it in there. On a scale of 1 to 10, it does 1,000. Holy shit. Now, I have this super physiologic effect because, you know, in the pharmaceutical world, well, all we got to do is flip this switch. And if we flip this switch harder, people are going to sleep faster and we're going to win and we're going to sell our medication. Mm-hmm. That, like, that's the way they think about it. Instead of going, well, what if we relieve all the stress hormones that are keeping the GABA from working? The natural. And then we just use this GABA and the one does its job because we've talked about the downregulator of receptors, right? Well, if... If a Z drug is a thousand times more powerful than GABA, how many receptors are you going to have at the end of six months of using that? Nothing. One one thousand. Yep. Right? It's pretty simple. <laughs> like you're going to have one one thousand. Can you and recover that? Can you upregulate those those receptors again? Well, I mean, that's, you bug it for a long time. It takes a while. So that so what I did uh, what I did with the seals. But obviously, I couldn't just take away their sleep medicine, yeah. you know, medicine and say, suck it up, buttercup. You know, like I had to give them something. And so we came up with this concoction of these things to give them various reasons. And all the guys helped me figure out what worked the best. But I kept them on their sleep drug. Uh, so I 
So what I did is I had the pharmacy make their Stillmox into uh, a serum. Yep. So 10 drops, 10 drops was a full dose. So they did 10 drops for a week and then yep. they do nine drops for a week and then eight drops for a week. All the while, Brilliant. they're taking the sleep, the sleep supplement as well, right? And they're getting good sleep every night and cutting out alcohol and they've done their sleep hygiene and they're doing everything to optimize their sleep. And over the course of about six to eight weeks, they're completely off of it. Marvelous. And then all the receptor density is obviously back and then they can just sleep fine after that, you know? Uh, Does that work for things, everything? Like, say, like, you know, getting someone off antidepressants and, you know, like, you know, we're trying to cut, like, tablets down this much and this much and this much, and it's really hard because you don't, you know, you can't top a tiny tablet. It is really hard and it's really time-consuming, and sometimes you have to bounce back because the the side effects become too Mm. much, and and it's really hard to titrate off of especially antidepressants uh, because especially – you know, like most most antidepressants now aren't just working on one system, so they aren't working on, say, like just serotonin. They're not, you know, oh, the, you know they're, a lot of times they're working on multiple neurotransmitters. Oh, so you're downregulating receptors for lots of things, um, and the ratio of neurotransmitters matters just as much as the presence of them. And uh, you know, so not every not, not everybody's the same. And so not everybody's receptors are coming back at the same speed and not everybody's just sensitive to the same drug. So it's hard to know how to get off of things. Um, and I've, uh, I've actually had two patients over my career just fail to come off of antidepressants. They just yeah. couldn't, we yeah. tried for the better part of a year and it was just, it was too traumatic for them. Like they would, wow. they would have such bad side effects from getting off the medications that they're like, I'm just going to stay on. Yeah, 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 and you and have I, to wire it up. Mm. And oh. I did my best to coach him out of it, but at the end of the day, it's like I like I'm there as as an advocate and a coach, so I don't like I don't demand anything of my clients other than you know they sleep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm, just, I'm dogmatic about, but everything else is like you know we're, we're going to work with with what you want to do, and we're going to build uh, resilience and performance in whatever areas you want to, and uh, you're going to eat. Like if you want to be a vegetarian, you can be a vegetarian. You want to be carnivore, you can be a carnivore. I don't care what you want to do. But we're just going to figure out you know, how, to, how to get the right ratios for you of everything and get the best performance out of you. And you know, maybe if you maybe if your genetics are such that you would do better without meat, but you really love meat and like you're willing to take a little bit of a little less performance, and you I really I'd rather have meat than be five percent better. All right, that, that's that's, that's up to you. I'm yeah. not here to tell you what to do with your life. Yeah. yeah. And, and Doc, you've, you've, but you have developed a sleep remedy, which I've heard you mm-hmm. say on other podcasts. It's not a miracle. It's just like it, but it's, it doesn't contain some of the things that will actually help us without damaging us. Can you tell yeah, so, us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's not, uh, you know, my, it's not a physiologic trick, right? It's not something like this, the, the magic drugs. Uh, it's not, you know, overdosing you on melatonin so that you are just washing out all of your weight promoting neurotransmitters and you're just falling asleep anyway. Um, so if you think about, we're talking about the hunter gatherers, the cavemen, the way our ancestors lived. I, I said, it takes about three to three and a half hours after the sun goes down before people fall. I feel like falling asleep. Well, who in America spends three hours or New Zealand spends three hours getting ready for bed? Nobody, right? One in in a million maybe, right? Uh, So all I try to do with my product is say, what would ordinarily concentrate over those three hours? What would happen? Well, 
well, as we said, the primary, the primary point would be we'd have this moment to start the nation because we, it's not just like a fire the pistol once and it goes. It's like this, you know, this is flowing around the brain and continually making changes all throughout yep. the night. Um, and then the other thing is GABA, right? I mean, GABA, deep, as I said, that slows every slows the brain down, and that does the other part. Uh, the body temperature, not something I supplement with, uh, do anything with. But the stress hormones, we need those to come down. Those should be coming down due to lifestyle, but maybe they're a little high. So phosphatidylserine is kind of like the only mm. um, not straightforward thing that, but you know, from your ultra. Ultra marathons and so forth. I'm sure you know that that decreases cortisol yep. levels by uh, taking hospital uh, serine. So, um, if you look at the pathway for producing melatonin, it's tryptophan, the amino acid tryptophan that mm-hmm. becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan. Mm-hmm. Then, with the help of magnesium and vitamin D3, that becomes serotonin. Serotonin mm-hmm. becomes melatonin. Yep, and then you got your pathway. With that, that's all, that's all the semi supplement. There's no serotonin in there. There's tryptophan, 5 hydroxytryptophan, magnesium, vitamin D3, and a little bit of melatonin. There's some GABA in there, and then there's some phosphatidylserine to bring your cortisol down. It's just ratios that I worked out with the SEALs over. They were great patients to have because they're super motivated and they're really diligent. Yeah. They take notes, they come in and report to me every day. And we just figured out the ratios of like, okay. It seems like we need a little more of this, a little less of that. Um, I had no intention of making a product out of it. I was just helping them get off of their sleep drugs. And then they just harangued me into making a product out of it. Yeah, they yeah. because they were like, I this mean, is a pain in it, it pain in their ass. They're having to go to three different stores. This is before Amazon. You could just order everything. They're having to go to three different health food stores. And you know, this came in a 30-day supply and that came in a 90-day yeah. supply. And this was capsules and that was a powder and this was a liquid. They couldn't travel with it. And so they're like, just make it something simple. And that's why I made the stick pouches. One, because I want to make it tea, because I want to create some sort of bedtime routine and ritual, mm-hmm. like help you form something like that and not just sit in, sit in bed and pop some pills. Um, so that's why I made it. That's one of the reasons. And then the other thing is those little stick pouches, you know, those things will last forever. Like, it, you know, they're... Yeah, you can they're, take it. You know, and they can just, you want, you need five days of sleep. You just throw five of those in your pocket and you're done, right? You don't need to you know, pack a bunch of different pills and all that. So, uh, so I really just made it for those, for those guys. And then it surprisingly turned into a little side business that I never really intended. But. Yeah, this is fantastic though, because, you know, like, uh, and we'll put the links in the show notes, people to, to get, to get this. And, because uh, I, 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 I mean, I have all those things and I have to take all the pills currently, you know, so, right. and, and I don't know the ratios, whether I'm getting the ratios right and if I'm doing it right, you know, uh, and right. I know I need extra support because I sort of live it, you know, full bore like you probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can do with some extra help. So we will put the links in the, in the show notes to the, the sleep remedy. Uh, and but there's nothing uh, physiological over physiological doses. There's nothing artificial in there that's going to cause you trouble, and that's the main mm-hmm. thing when people because people just grab to Ambien or Valium or those you know types of things right. because they're desperate, you know. And I get that, um, but we, and we can help ourselves with all the sleep routine things that we've mentioned: d- dark, cool, having a hot right. shower or cold shower, something changing your temperature, slowing your brain down, chamomile tea, you know, all these things that we can do that are, right. that are simple behavioral things but adding that into the mix i think is 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 a really key thing dr parsley yeah. I've, I've taken up so much of your bloody time but i could honestly would love to have you back um at some stage because there was just more 
that I wanted to Yeah, there's a lot we didn't really get to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like I, I'm, always, I'm always happy to do it. I, um, you know, I, wow, I, I, so I, appreciate I don't know that. how long it, I don't know how long it took to schedule this one, but I think I, not I, think, long. I, not I think I can get them done in a couple of weeks. Usually I'm, I'm only doing maybe two a week right now. Like I, I yeah. it used to be like five a week. Somebody always wanted me to do it, but I don't get as many requests now. I'm not as popular. So I've been doing about two a week. So I think, um, you, you, I, I think, you know, like I've worked with, a, you know, I've, I've, I've done this podcast for, for nearly six years. Uh, I, I've talked to experts in so many, many, many fields. Uh, your, your wide ranging experience, both in the, in the, in the seals and, and as a doctor, uh, it's pretty extensive. So I think you might be getting a lot more. And I think uh, I just really enjoyed this conversation because it, it's helped clarify a lot of things for me. And it's really put, I think, the, the number one thing that I've also come to the conclusion of in a roundabout way, that sleep is our biggest leverage point. Not, not exercise, not food, not anything else, but sleep. And yeah. it's not an easy one for us to just click and do, but um, we, we can help ourselves. So I think that the work you're doing is absolutely marvellous. And I would love to uh, get your friend on who's in the hyperbaric uh, because mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely one of my things that I'm good on promoting as well, big on that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, any, any final things that you would like to share with the audience to just, you know, any last bits of wisdom from Doc Parsley? Well, so um, with, you know, specifically with sleep, since that's what we, we talk the most about and, and that's what people mostly want to hear me talk about. Um, but specifically with sleep, I, again, I just like to reiterate that it is a really simple process. And the, and the thing that gets in the way the most is all of these fears and concerns about doing everything perfectly when you're designed to do it, like really all you need to do is convince yourself it's really important. And then just start with a bedtime ritual, right? Like the sleep hygiene stuff, you can look up, but again, all you're doing with it, you're decreasing the blue light in your eyes. You can do it with glasses. You can do it by changing your light bulbs. You can do it by getting rid of the light and doing candles. You can put, you know, computers programs that get rid of blue light. There's all sorts of things you can do. Get rid of the blue light, decrease the stimulation, lower your body temperature. That's sleep hygiene. You, there's a million ways to do that. Um, and then, of course, you know, part of lowering your stress is just slowing down your thinking. You can't work on your computer until 9.59 and get in bed at 10 and think you're going to be asleep. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have to slow everything down, just like you do with a little kid. The other metaphor yeah. I give them is like, if you've ever baby. What had you kids or ever been a kid, you'll remember this, like this 45-minute protracted period to get a kid ready for sleep. Yep. We still need that as adults. We just don't think we need that. And it doesn't need to be as elaborate, but it's the same thing. What are you doing with a kid? Put him in the bathtub. Right? You're slowing him down. You don't let your kid bang trucks together and then throw him in a bed and turn off light and walk out and think it's going to work, right? Not going to work. So stop roughhousing, slow down the activity, maybe watch a television show or, you know, do a puzzle or whatever it is. And then after you do that, you put him in the bath. Why are you putting him in the bath? Relaxing them and you're lowering their body temperature, right? You don't give them a 98 degree bath. You might give them an 85 degree bath, right? I don't know Celsius for that, but uh, you know, yep. uh, so you're not giving them a body temperature yeah. bath. It's something below. So you're lowering the body temperature. Then what do you do? You get them out of the bath and you put them in really comfy jammies and you put powder all over them. Decreases sensation, right? Now they're not feeling labels, not feeling zippers, not feeling anything touching them. So now they're calm. Oh, yeah, that's one less sensation. Now you put them in a room, you make sure they're safe. They're in a soft bed. There's nothing sharp poking them. They feel comfortable. They're feeling comfortable next to you. You start reading them a story. What's the best kind of story? The story they already know. Something rhythmic, something predictable, like Dr. Seuss. Yep. Has this cadence. They know everything that's coming. 
And then they just sit there and like they're relaxing. You're slowing down their brain. Their body temperature's lower. There's no sensation. The lights are low. You're not putting in loud music. They're not moving around a bunch. And now they start feeling like they're going to sleep and you, you know, convince them they're going to be safe and you walk out. Like it's the same. We need to turn the lights off. (laughs) We don't have to wear onesies, but you know, we don't need onesies, but everything else, like it's all the same. We need all the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know one of the things that uh, trying to get your kids to sleep and obviously keep you know psychologically safe, but having them in a dark room without a nightlight, if possible. Uh, mm. I don't know if you know Professor Huberman, Andrew Huberman. He was talking about the other day um, the light getting to the eyes of the child. You know the the night lights and things that we have on for kids, and actually yeah. causing myopia. You know, short sightedness in children as well. Like that's another thing besides the whole sleep rhythm thing. But um, that was that was an interesting one as well. Oh, one one final thought. Um, if anyone in your audience is specifically having problems with stress, they know they're having problems with stress, or they suspect they're having problems with stress. Yeah, I, I'm sure you'll post it in your in your show notes. But my website, docparsley.com. Yep. Um, there's a downloadable PDF in there. I think it's, yep. do, it's docparsley.com forward slash forward slash stress. Stress. Uh, okay, and there's a downloadable PDF. Mm-hmm. It gives you a whole program for how do you decrease stress around sleep. Okay. All right. I'm downloading yeah. that myself. It's, it's, you're taking an hour to describe it. So I, so I just point people towards the PDF. Okay, people get on Doc Parsley's uh, 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 website, get that stress download, that free download, check out Doc Parsley's sleep remedy, make sure you you, you start to implement all of these things and, and give us some feedback. Let Doc Parsley know what you think about all of this because um, I'm sure you'll be interested in, in feedback from people as well. Doc Parsley, thank you so much for your time. I, I, I really thank you for all the work you're doing and the amazing <laughs> research and 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 everything it's just absolutely amazing uh, well appreciate having you on you had my uh it doesn't know anything if i don't get to share it to people and i'm too lazy to have my own podcast that's it this week for pushing the limits be sure to rate review and share with your friends and head over and visit lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 